This episode sponsored by Vistage. With more than 20,000 members, it's where CEOs go to grow their companies and themselves. Learn more at Vistage.com. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by a legend, Jill Conrath. Now, Jill is the best-selling author of three books on sales, Selling to Big Companies, Snap Selling, which is a landmark book in sales, and Agile Selling. And Agile Selling talks about how we learn quickly to adapt in a rapidly changing world. Now, Jill and I are going to speak about what to do when customers are not too unhappy with their current solution, so they may not be open to change. We'll talk about how your brain works and how to learn faster and better, how top-performing companies treat selling differently from the rest of the companies out there, and finally, what's really going on with your customer when they don't call back? You're going to learn a ton. Don't go anywhere. Here's Jill Conrath. So, Jill Conrath, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here today, Ian. So in your latest book, Agile Selling, which I absolutely love, one of those things that I read cover to cover or pixel to pixel since I was reading it on on the Kindle, you share some wisdom about learning quickly. Can you share what motivated you to write that? Yeah, I can. Um, One of the things that happened after my second book, Snap Selling, came out is that people came up to me and said, oh my God, Jill, the stuff you've written in Snap Selling is so incredibly helpful and it's really making a difference, and I'm getting in to see customers, I'm getting decisions to move along, and, you know, you really helped me understand how to sell to crazy, busy people. And then they looked at me, and they'd say, but Jill, I'm crazy busy too. What do you have for me? And, I, and at first, I'd look at him and go, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm crazy busy as well. <laughs> and I really, you know, I, I thought I had nothing for him, but for a couple of years, it just kind of niggled at me, and I, and I kept thinking, there's got to be something I can offer these people who are crazy busy. And what I realized is that one of the reasons we're crazy busy is that we're constantly in a learning mode. We never know enough, you know? And, and even if we think we do, things change. And, and then we have to go back to the drawing board. Or we change jobs or our company comes out with a new product or we go after a new market segment. And one of the things I have a great deal of expertise in is rapid learning, how to throw yourself into something new and get up to speed quickly so you can achieve proficiency. Yeah, and I think that's something that you touch on so well in this book, and you've got you know several different parts to it. It it, it probably comes as no surprise to people that, as part of your background, you were a teacher at one point. <laughs> yeah, but I don't tell many people about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, it's something that you know, and obviously you've had such a, you know you had such an amazing sales career. You're well regarded as one of the top experts when it comes to sales methodology and how to approach selling. So I don't think people think of you as, oh, this is like, you know, this is a teacher who's now trying to be in this business world. Clearly, you've established your expertise in this space. But how do you think of teaching and learning when you communicate? And what can others learn from that? Because I've seen you on stage, I've read your books, and you communicate in a way that makes it easy for people to digest the information. And I got to believe that teaching had a role in that. 
I think I actually think it did. I mean, I, I really everything I do and everything I've always done from the time I was a sales rep at Xerox and and would have trainees working for me, I was constantly looking and asking myself, how can I make this understandable to the person I'm working with? How can I help them get what they need to do differently? You know, what is it that will work? And I'm very cognizant also of the different strategies that I use most of the time. So I'm constantly analyzing things myself, trying to figure out what works better. So when I when I sit down to write a book or when I speak to an audience, I mean, the person I'm writing to or speaking to is primary on my mind. You know, where are they at today? What don't they know that's important for them to understand? How, and then how can I deliver it to them in a way that opens them up to change as opposed to scaring the living daylights out of them. And I think the way you describe that is so valuable because I think oftentimes salespeople suffer from what I call axis displacement disorder. Well, I don't know what that one is. So so axis displacement disorder is when people believe that the axis, axis of the earth has shifted. It now goes in their head and out their rear, and the world revolves around them. And, <laughs> and, and so, so they have this feeling that everybody instantly understands their perspective and view of the world. And I know that one of the things you teach is that you really need to think in terms of what might be going on in your customer's world when you show up. Yeah, to me, that's the only thing that really matters. I mean, it's not about us. Selling is about you know, aligning our products or services with, with our customers and how we can help them improve their business in whatever way, shape, or form our product or service can do it in. So the only thing that counts is what they think and their perception of our interactions, their perspective of who we are, not just as, oh, I really like, you know, Ian, he's a nice guy. But, you know, when I talk to Ian, he's, he's really brings me some ideas, insights, and information that help. You know, so everything has to be grounded from the context of our customer. And, and most people don't think like that. They think that their job is, is still to go out and share the value of their product and service, like talk about their stuff. And that isn't what it's about. It's really only about the customer. And, and we have to think of it, too, as our, what we're selling is change. And most people don't think of it that way. They think they're selling their software or they think they're selling their services. But what they're really selling is a change from the status quo. And nobody wants to change, especially today when we're also swamped. I mean, nobody wants to change at all unless it makes really good sense. And so we are change agents and we have to think, how can we help our customer understand what they'll get if they do change? You know, and we have to walk them through it slowly, not on our pace, but on their pace. What are some ideas that you have? Because I'm sure there's someone listening right now saying, yeah, Jill, that's my exact problem. In fact, my problem is that my customer is totally comfortable with the status quo and they don't want to hear what I have. So what are some of the what are some of the tips that you have for people in that sales or executive role going to meet with a client who may not realize that there's something worth considering out there? Yeah, I think there is some research that shows, and I can't remember the exact numbers, that like 90, 95% of the people are happy or reasonably unhappy <laughs> with their status quo, meaning they may not love what the way they're currently doing things, but it's not so awful that they that they have to do something different. So they're they're living in this world. If and mostly it's not perfect, but you know, whatever it is they're doing today, they've established some workarounds, people are comfortable with it, they know what it is, it's the devil that they know. But they don't know what else is possible. 
I mean, that's what they don't know. And so for a salesperson just to come in and talk about their product and say, well, it has this kind of capability or we could help you with that. And, you know, are we offer services in these areas? It doesn't do anything. What people really need to do in order to be successful selling is they need to say, usually when I'm talking to prospects, they typically have these kind of status quos. They're typically maybe using an older version of something that's similar to ours, but it was invented, you know, five years ago. Or they're doing some things in-house, and we're doing them, you know, outsourcing type of thing. So they have to say, well, what are the typical scenarios that I'm going to run into? And what are the downsides to those scenarios that that these people may not be aware of because they've never consciously you know, thought about it. It's just the way it is. So what, what could be wrong? What business issues could it create? And, and then also, what are they trying to achieve? You know, what are their growth plans? And what gaps are there right now? What might be difficult to achieve if they're using the, this current way of doing things? So salespeople can't just go rushing in. They have to use their brain and they have to do an analysis of a common status quo scenarios and, and also the gaps that may emerge based on various goals that clients face or issues that may be emerging in their market segment. Does that make sense? You know, it, it makes great sense. And one of the one of the things that, that I often suggest to people is I'll say to them, look, you can you can tell your customer if you wanted to that, oh, this might be happening to you and they're probably going to be resistant. But if you can share a third party story of what you've seen other people doing, then you might get a different reaction. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. It's, it's really, I really find today that what you really want to do is, is not come at them full heartedly. You want to, you know, if you've got your own case studies with your, you know, your own clients, that's really good. Or if you have some outside um, research, that also makes a difference. For example, uh, CEB just came out with a, a new book and in it that they say that the average, the average sale has 5.4 decision makers in it, involved yeah. in it. So, if that's what their research shows, if I'm talking to a VP of sales and if I've got something that can help them uh, speed up the sales process and deal more effectively with those 5.4 decision makers, I might contact that person and say, or in my conversation, I might say, Ian, I don't know if you're familiar with the new CEB study, but it recently stated that there are 5.4 decision makers on every sale. How does that compare to what you're experiencing? You know, and so get some conversation going there. Is you know is it more is it you know less? But basically, then to take that stat and say, since this is what we're all running into, some of the things that I'm seeing out there that are key priorities for people, the way they're dealing with it is this, or they're really struggling with this, and they're not sure how to m- more fully engage this group and keep them moving. You know, what are your strategies, and have you thought about that? And then you to be able to offer your own strategies and ideas at that point. But it's taking the data that's out there either from your existing customers or from, you know, an advisory service of some sort. And leveraging that data to have an interesting conversation that's highly relevant to the prospect uh, and focus on what they're trying to achieve as well. Yeah, and, and that, that whole idea of focusing on, I often refer to it as focusing on results, it is so powerful because I think oftentimes the person in the sales role believes that the finish line of their interaction with the customer is the contract or the sale. But but if but if we ask the customer what the finish line is, the customer says, well, I don't know if we have a finish line per se, but if there is one, it's the results. 
It's not the fact that we purchased your stuff. Right. Yeah. But if they don't get the results, it's been a failure. You know, you haven't done your job. And certainly it's much more difficult to sell your second or your third thing to this organization or grow your business within an existing client. Exactly. And, and, and I would say if you deliver amazing results, you don't have to look very far to find clients because your existing clients are going to, are going to want to do more business with you. And they're probably going to be inclined to share their success with other people. Yep, absolutely. When you fail, it's like there's only so many rocks you can hide under. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes a little bit more of a challenge. No, and, and then they're, when they're out target hunting with their bows looking for you, then it really gets bad. Now, I'm, I'm sure you see executives and sales managers come up with all sorts of different approaches, many of them old school approaches, on how to get their teams to sell more. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen people do that just candidly don't work anymore? And what alternatives do you suggest instead? Well, certainly the, the fact that it's just a numbers game. I mean, you know, that's stupid. If, if, you, if you make bad calls whether they're e- or send out bad emails, you're not going to get responses. So uh, to me, you know, certainly there are some numbers that need to be met. But to me, it's a quality game today. You know, it's like how, how can we explore effectiveness? And I think the real... The, real, the people who are doing well are constantly experimenting and, and looking at um, ways to improve the continuum. I, I look at sales and I see sales as on one end of this continuum, it's, it's grossly ineffective. It hardly ever works. And the other end of the continuum, it, it's like it's magic. It works every single time. And I think if we take a look at every aspect of our sales process, we can break it down into things that we could improve. You know, and to me, it's like, it's fascinating when you, you look at it and say, okay, I'm going to dissect this and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work on my opening line in my emails. I mean, just the opening sentence in your email can fundamentally shift people's reaction to it. And, and to me, you know, it, there's a lot of training going on out there. Training is not necessarily effective. It really determines how people follow up on the training. Um, and what I think is most important is that it, you create a culture of experimentation. Great. And everything is an experiment. And you can have teams around the U.S. or if you're a big company experimenting and trying different things, but sharing the results and, and you know inviting people to consist, constantly be learning new things, to be noticing when things are changing, to be adapting to that change, and to be saying, I wonder if I can find a more effective way. I'm wondering if I could, I'm wondering right now, I'm, you know, I make 100 calls and I get 10 meetings. What if I got 12 meetings? I'm wondering what I could change to get 12 meetings. Or, I mean, if you take a look at close rates today or forecasted close rates, I mean, I think that, I think that like 50% of forecasted deals don't close. Yeah. Um, that's, that's awful. And... <laughs> <laughs> And as and you know, and I think most sales organizations, when they see it, see it, you know, they go, "Damn, you know, didn't close. We really blew it again." But you, you ought to take a look at that. Sometimes you're losing to competitors, and sometimes you're losing to no decision. So in each case, you could say, "Okay, this is an opportunity for us to look, to learn more." If you've lost to the competitor, what kind? And you do it consistently. What kind of immersion do you need to do in your competitor to understand? Um, what it is that you can shift so that you're not losing continuously to that competitor. I remember 
when I first started selling, I kept losing to this one. It was called the Royal Bond 115. Drove me crazy. I lost three times in a row to the Royal Bond 115. I finally said, that is it. I am done losing to this copier because I was with Xerox at that time. I am done losing. So literally, I threw myself in and I figured it out and I never lost again. Yeah. But it's, it's throwing yourself in and creating those learning moments and saying, what do I need to know? As opposed to throwing up your arms and going, damn, we lost it again. But I think the real value, too, might be in looking at the losses to no decision. Because what that means is that there's definitely a sales failure, um, that the need was not great enough, that you were not able to provide a strong enough business case to, to get your client to want to go through the pain of changing. And I think that element of understanding where there's enough pain, it's not even necessarily the notion of, gee, here's what you could have done to close that deal. I think one of the bigger lessons for a lot of people in sales is that some deals, the timing isn't right for you today. Yep, it isn't. The company's going through too much other change, you know, right now. And they have to get that sorted out before they do it. Or they're just implementing a big ERP system and, you know, and everything is on hold until that's up and running. You know, I mean, there's other priorities that organizations are going through. As I often say, look, if someone's on a life or death moment, it's not a time to try and sell them on, you know, having their nails done. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, they probably don't care about something that's window dressing when it's a life or death moment for them in another side of their business. Yes, Exactly. You mentioned this idea of of getting to the point where it's quality and it's not quantity, realizing that it's not a numbers game, this idea of experimentation and learning. And in Agile Selling, you talk about specific approaches for how people can learn better. So give me some of the broad strokes on what people can do to get faster and better at learning what they need to learn. Well, first of all, there, there, there literally is a process for rapid learning, and most people don't have a clue that this, that this is, you know, exists because nobody ever teaches us this thing. But, you know, when, you are, when you're in a situation where you have to learn something fast, you need to do, initially do a quick scan of the environment and say, what are these things that I have to learn? You know, what are, you know I'm in a new sales job. I have to learn a lot of things. Um, I have to learn about the company's products I have to learn, and, and services. I have to learn about the systems that we have in place, like the CRM and the technology and the order processing stuff and all that. And you have to learn about who this customer is, and then you have to integrate it all into a, a sales process. You have to get, you know, you have to do prospecting. You have to you know, have conversations with people. You might have to demo them. You might have proposals. I mean, there's this huge bulk of learning that comes in, but you can't learn it all at once. And so a savvy learner will say, all right, this is what I have to learn. I've got it kind of mapped out about the things that I need to learn, but what matters first? You know, what are the things that if I learn them now, get me proficient faster? So what you have to start doing then is sorting things out and say, this is crucial now, this can wait. Crucial now, this can wait. And if you're new to sales or don't understand this, you really need to go and get the advice of other people in the organization because you just don't know. So the first thing you need to capture is what matters What matters most? What do they have to learn first instead of, wow, I have to learn everything. Yeah. So, so you get, and, and you know, when people are onboarded, like in a new company or when, when the new product comes out, there's huge, massive dumps, you know, here's everything you need to know about this new service that we're coming out with everything. And it's like, Oh my God. 
Um, or if you start a new job or, or get promoted, it's, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You know, I can't handle it all. And that's really how the brain does react from all this information from about all these different things being poured into your brain or you're trying to learn it all at one time. Our brain is, is not really that good. It learns things in a logical, sequential manner. And if we keep, you know, we spend a, 20 minutes learning this and then we hear somebody talk about that and then we research this. I mean, we're just all over the board. So in order to do things faster, we really need to sort it out, pick the ones that are essential to learn now, and then actually sequence our learning. You know, act, just sequence it. I mean, something as simple as LinkedIn can be sequ- sequenced. If you take a look at learning LinkedIn and becoming more effective on LinkedIn, you know, you can say, okay, well, what do I have to learn about LinkedIn? Oh, my God. Groups, profiles, connections, uh, in-mails, you, you know, research. I mean, there's so much. But if you research and take a look at what the experts say and do that quick scan, you'll see that they almost invariably start with the profile. And that the profile is the foundation of everything you do on LinkedIn. But you don't have to do all the profile stuff first. You need to get a good workable profile up there, which includes your headline, your summary, a nice summary that's written from a customer-focused perspective, and some basic job descriptions. You don't have to have everything. And you need to have a nice picture, too. So once that's done, you might move over to another section of LinkedIn, like research, and learn how to more effectively research. But you don't have to learn it all. You just need to do some of it. And what you do is you put together a learning plan for yourself that allows you to, over time, develop proficiency. And you need to think of it as, you know, I need 90, 100 days, you know, or more to do that. And be okay with that. You're not a failure if it takes that much time. In fact, you're going to be better faster if you do it that way. Yeah, and and you, you lay out so many specific, just amazing strategies in agile selling that, um, I, I just I just remember as I was reading it, just saying, wow, what a great idea. Wow, what a great idea. And I just kept taking notes and notes and notes. The Kindle version um, that I have, I think, has as many words of notes as there may have been in the book, um, which is really just a, a compliment to you in how much valuable takeaway information there was. Because I'll tell you that there's a lot of books I read and I don't have a lot of comments in. And yours was like, oh, man, this is really great information on how people can take in process and prioritize what they need to be learning. So I had to learn the efficiencies of scale of how to tackle this kind of, you know, I'm new or I'm selling something new or I'm going after a new market. I had to learn it and become really a rapid learner myself. I'm probably the only one in the U.S. who's ever had a situation where they had to learn that much that fast about so many disparate products to disparate markets and different buyers. You know, it's it's just my background. I'm sure. And, and you figured out how to do it, and you were nice enough to share it with other people. So, you know, if I, if I look back at snap selling as a methodology that was wildly successful, then agile selling is giving people a guide on how to better learn so you can incorporate these ideas in your business. So what are you working on now? <laughs> well, remember I said that after snap came out, people said to me, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> They're still saying that to me, <laughs> and I'm still feeling it too. Um, I, I really think this issue on time is a pervasive issue, and it's not just like agile selling addressed getting up to speed fast. Whenever anything changed, how do you get up to speed fast and achieve proficiency? Um, but that's not sufficient. This time issue is bigger and broader than that. So right now, I am exploring and experimenting with various ways to become 
I don't know if I, I, I don't want to say more productive because I'm resisting the word productive myself. Um, so so may, maybe even just being more efficient so that you can, you can allocate your time where you want to. Yes. I mean, I, and I hate the fact that I'm, uh, that I feel like I'm online all the time. I mean, it makes me twitchy. And by the way, research shows that twitchiness that you get from being online is real and it's supported by neuroscience. I mean, I, the books I'm reading now, you would not think I had come from the world of sales. I mean, I'm reading all about neuroscience and brain research, so cognitive thinking, everything you can do about what's happening to us these days because of the digital revolution and what we're being expected to do, the increasing expectations, the constant on environment. I mean, it's, it's, it's traumatic to our brains. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm a rapid learner. I understand this and still I'm spinning. And I know that everybody I talk to is going, oh, won't it ever stop? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I think that's, that's part of the balance. And what I often try to explain to, to people I talk to is this notion of, look, all these things that are that are peppering your brain are also inundating your client's brain. And so when you walk into a meeting, you're thinking to yourself that these people are completely focused on you, and it just isn't so. And, and I know that um, in, in some of your talks, you actually role play with people what's really going on with your potential customer when you show up. And it'd be great. Can you share some insight about, about that and just some perspective that people in sales should have when they go on to meet with a potential customer? Yeah, I just, I mean, it's, it's so common to just be going into meetings and thinking about your own agenda and what you're trying to do while you're with the client or whether it's an online meeting or even just a phone conversation. I mean, to just be thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting John on the phone. I need to talk to John. I want to talk with John about this. But the reality of it is once we take a look at John's situation, uh, he is just like us. He is crazy busy. Um, and, and we don't do that. So I've taken to doing, you know, some improv role plays in all my workshops and speeches to highlight that because until you see the context of John's life or Jill's life, because I'm the one who does the role play, until you see the context of my life as the buyer, you have no idea um, the, you know, how I'm, I, I'm hearing your message, how I am, how I am uh, thinking, what I'm thinking about it and what, what's come before our conversation. And and it's crucial. So one of the things I do is I role play a day in the life of Jill, your targeted client, and just before you're meeting them or just before you're sending them an email, and I show all the chaos that's going on, the everyday chaos, not not calamitous, but everyday chaos. And and then I have people, you know, leave me email messages or send me voicemail messages. And I listen to them as if I'm a crazy busy buyer and at the minute I'm the minute I am bored or think it's a salesperson, I delete them, you know, yes. and I delete them right there in the role play. So they'll say, hi, Jill, my name is, you know, Ian Altman, and I'm the sales rep with, and I just delete. yell out, delete, you know, I mean, because that's how I am as a busy person, you know, and, and I've role played sales, you know, I've role played um, uh, 
salespeople come in and try to present to these kind of people too. I mean, I've just done a whole lot of different things to help people truly understand the context. I mean, when I come in and I and I'm you know wanting to talk about my company and or if I show a PowerPoint presentation that says this is my company and you know here's all our locations and we've been in business since 1997 and our company was founded by you know all that crap. I mean, like who cares? <laughs> who cares when you're crazy busy? That is like. Oh, it's like detestable talk, you know? I mean, you just want to get that person out of your life. And that's why people hate salespeople, because they don't understand what matters. I mean, I, when I work with people on their presentations, it's like, let, what do you have on the last page of your presentation? You've got 48 slides here. You know, you've got one hour with this person. What's on the last page? And the last page is a couple good use cases, you know? where they. <laughs> it's like, okay, guys. Nobody gives a rip about those first 12 slides that you have. And then the next slide explains your technology and your methodology and blah, blah, blah. I mean, nobody gives a rip, but, you know, back here, slide 47, I'm interested. Exactly. And I think that's something that that obviously is is a key is for people to understand what their customers focused on to make sure that you're hitting the things that matter to them, not what the product developer thought you should cover, not what marketing thought you should cover. But if you were the customer, what you would care about, to your point about people being crazy busy and having other things going on, I often will say to salespeople or executives, I'll say, so let's say you met with this client and your meeting was over at 3 o'clock. What do you think was going through their head at 4 o'clock? And they always say stuff about you know, about them as the vendor. Oh, they're probably thinking this. They're probably thinking this. They're probably <laughs> thinking that. I said, no, they're not thinking that at all. You're right. You're so <laughs> thinking, oh, God, I'm late on this. I have to get meeting with this. We've got some service problems here. Yeah, so, so when someone hasn't gotten back to you, it probably has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. And so they have to see that you're someone who can help them solve all these other issues, not someone who is creating just more stuff for them to deal with. And, and it changes changes the uh, the game considerably. Now, if you had one piece of advice, and I know it's tough to boil it down to one, but if you had one piece of advice on what can help businesses and salespeople and executives be more successful and how they sell and how they earn attention. Where would you have them focus? On being a learner. I, I mean, I know that sounds strange, but the reality is we are in such a constantly changing world that unless we can create a learning organization and individual learners um, who are sharing and growing together, that environment where it's all about getting better and trying different things, unless we can do that, we're continually under the, you know, behind the game. But if you can get, if you as an individual can focus on getting better, always getting better, how can I increase my effectiveness? I mean, that should be the driving question as an individual. And as a sales leader, it should be how can we as a group learn more, get better, you know, be better aligned with our customers, be more effective and, and constantly thinking like that, like it's all an experiment. There's no rules. There's only better ways. And that's what I want people to think about today. Yeah, and, and I think that agile selling gives people a great tool to to get there and a great platform to help their team learn better and faster. So, Joe, what's the best way? And obviously, we're going to include all this in the show notes. What's the best way for people to find you? They should just go to my website, jillconrath.com. That's Conrath with a K. Most people don't know that. Um, but I got tons of resources on there, Ian. You know, it's all um, e-books, you know, uh, 
cheat sheets, you know, one pagers and I mean, all sorts of things that can help people who sell become more effective. So Jill, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Really my pleasure. Jill shares just amazing insight. Let me give you the top three things that stood out for me that you can implement in your business right away. First, 95% of customers are not too unhappy with what they've currently got. So it's the salesperson's job to help customers understand why it might be worth considering a change. It's not a numbers game. We need to focus on quality. And the best organizations today are building a culture of experimentation. So let's figure out what's going to attract the best customers to your business. And finally, you need to get faster and better at learning a lot of information. And what you start with is first figuring out which pieces are crucial and which ones can wait, and then sequence your learning around that information. This show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show, or if there's a topic you'd love for me to cover, please just drop me a note at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.